It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants Mobile app. John Schmoke, Lance Meadow with you. It's all presented by the New York Lottery. The phone number is 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. And, of course, Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You'll find the archive of all our shows at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and, of course, your favorite podcast platforms. And now we're going to be joined by our guest to start off the show. He is former NFL quarterback, analyst for Pro Football Focus, and you can hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio, former NFL quarterback Bruce Gradkowski. Bruce, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow here, and I'll start with this. Um, I'm sorry I have to give you more Lance Meadow in your life. I know you deal with him over at Sirius, and now you have to deal with him more now. I apologize ahead of time. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm good, guys. I know, man, if I knew Lance was on the show, I might not have uh, agreed to come on. But Yeah, I'm I, actually surprised I, I you agreed to this, anyway. Bruce. Well, you know, Bruce, there's a reason I didn't mention it in the request. I'm not going to lie. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Bruce, uh, thanks a lot for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, first things first here. Uh, the Giants, obviously a big part of this season, and we'll get to the playoff race in a second, has been the development of Daniel Jones. I know you pay close attention to the quarterbacks around the league. I've heard you on the air talk in depth about Daniel. Your thoughts on how he's progressed over the course of his second season? Yeah, I, you know, I've always been a, a fan of Daniel Jones because I'm a fan of what he brings. You know, he's tough. He's a good kid. Uh, he's smart. He has good timing and rhythm to his game. Uh, so I always appreciate that first and foremost because I know how hard it is to be consistently good week in and week out, year after year in the NFL. And so with Daniel Jones and learning a new system this year in the COVID and not, you know, offseason uh, program, <clears throat> I think he's done a phenomenal job. I think he continues to do better. Of course, there's things he has to clean up. You know, we all get frustrated of some of those turnover worthy plays or, you know, trying to force a pass as he get as he's getting sacked or fumbles in the pocket. But man, he's a young quarterback and there's still a lot of room uh, to learn and grow. And for us at PFF, I mean, he's our number one grader throwing the ball 20 plus yards downfield, 98.8. So in, in another area that I've, I, I was actually really impressed of is when he's in rhythm uh, and he's throwing 10 plus yards downfield. He ranks fit in passing grade for us, and this was before Week 11. But 19 big time throws, two turnover worthy plays. He's behind Rodgers, Wilson, Brady, and Mahomes. So he's in good company there. I see a lot of good things, but also some room for improvement. Bruce, when it comes to young quarterbacks, we often hear they have to walk that fine line, especially early in their careers, of determining when is the right time to just throw the ball away, live to see another down, versus, okay, let me try to press the envelope, which is what you just alluded to. And I think it's fair to say, you know, Daniel Jones has had to navigate that fine line over the course of his first two seasons. As a former quarterback, I'm curious, what is that decision-making process like? And is it easier said than done in terms of just flipping that switch and getting to the point where your decision-making is where it should be, where you're always reading the situation the right way no absolutely it's definitely easier said than done because when he's getting sacked and getting pulled to the ground 
do you think he's throwing it knowing he's about to throw an interception? No, he, he's a competitor. He thinks he's going to alleviate that sack and get the ball out of his hands and complete a pass, and it, it goes into a turnover. I just, you know, when you think of the quarterback position and how much is, you know, on their plate, how much they have to process before the snap, you know, you're getting the call in the headset uh, from, from the coach on the sideline. You have to know the down and distance. You have to know the personnel grouping that's getting sent in for your offense. You have to keep an eye on the play clock. You have to call the shifts, the motions, the snap count, the play in the huddle, break, get to the line of scrimmage. Now recognize the defense, the covers they're in. As you're still watching the play clock, you have to send the shifts, the motion. And now you're thinking my timing, my footwork, where am I working? And right when the ball snaps, it's like, okay, am I hot? Where's my progression now? And so there's so much, and then all of a sudden you get hit up in the backside of the, the head and, and you have to do it all over again. So the speed is at which you have to process these things for young quarterbacks, you know, it's tough. And as you continue to play more and in the same system, that becomes second nature. I mean, guys, you're, you're watching Tom Brady, right? He's in a new offense this year. We've seen um, some good things from him. We've seen some bad things from him as far as the offense is concerned of being in the new system. So uh, I think a lot on the quarterback's plate, and then Daniel Jones, for instance, answering your question, it's easier said than done to not force that throw, to not you know put yourself, your team, in that position. But as he continues to go, you have to learn from those mistakes, and that's what the coaches want to see. Is he learning from them? Is he growing and getting better week in and week out? And, Bruce, the other thing that I've been impressed by is one issue he had as a rookie was holding on to the ball too long, and I think that led to a lot of those turnover-worthy plays that we've talked a lot about. And this year, his you know average time to throw is way down. When he gets rid of the ball in under two and a half seconds, he's one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the NFL, according to your guys' metrics over there at, at PFF. And I think Jason Garrett, especially considering the, the struggles the offensive line had earlier in the year, has done a really good job, and Daniel's bought into it, working a quicker passing game and getting the ball out of his hands. And I thought that was a focus heading into the year, and I think it's been a big source of a lot of his success and even cutting down on some of those turnover-worthy plays. No, absolutely. That's a good point. I mean, he is. You know, once you understand the offense, what kind of the coach is asking for you do. You you get the ball out of your hand quicker, and I think Daniel Jones uh, is, is doing a good job in the, in that instance. I mean, you know, he has you know around two hundred and thirty some snaps attempts, uh, nine yards and under. So I, I think the Giants are throwing a lot of quick game. You know, between one and nine yards, he's one hundred twenty one out of one seventy for nine hundred and seventy yards. So he he there is a lot of quick game where I think honestly this offense can help him out a little bit. And, and I learned this as, as I got older. When you get comfortable with the throws downfield, like the 18 to 20-yard range, that's almost easier than quick game because quick game, you have to process things so fast. Mm. You have to be very accurate, and you're making the decisions in a split second, you know, based on one movement of, 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 of a linebacker. So um, I think – you know, when I look at Daniel Jones's grades and how he's performing, when he's throwing the ball 10-plus yards downfield and in rhythm, I mean, he, he's, like we I pointed out before, man, he's, he's one of the best out there, you know, with, with being up with Ray, Rogers, Wilson, Brady, and Mahomes. So I think as he progresses, I'd like to see this offense with more play-action pass, with more shifts in motion, get him set up to where now – 
He can play action. He can see the field clearer and better. And now drop those, you know, little touch passes over linebackers in that intermediate range. And I feel like that'll be easier to him. And also, you're getting more chunk plays that way. Bruce, I'm glad you brought up the other facets of the Giants' offense because I think what's interesting is the Giants haven't turned the ball over in each of the last two games, which had been an issue in the early stage of the season. And I would argue that's coincided with the strength of the rushing attack. I mean, they've had over 100 yards in each of the last five games and some changes or tweaks on the offensive line. Some, of course, because of the COVID, others because of perhaps them moving around some offensive linemen. How much of the play of the run game as well as the perhaps improvement of the offensive line do you think has helped Daniel Jones specifically over these last two games? Yeah, I mean, I think that helps tremendously. I mean, any time we saw Russell Wilson this past weekend, right, he was playing more efficient, um, you know, making smarter decisions, you know, 28 attempts I think he had. Uh, But you see, when when you're able to run the football, it takes some pressure off the quarterback. And I think for the Giants, I mean, it's also when you run the ball. You know, people think, hey, we need to be able to run the ball. Well, yeah, but when are you running it? You can't just hand it off first and second down and then expect your quarterback uh, to make it happen on third down to save you to get a new set of downs. So I do think it's mixing that up, and that's what I think the Giants have done a good job the last few weeks of – mixing the offense up, the calls up, getting the run game going, the offensive line, and then Daniel Jones playing smarter. And, guys, you know, we've harped on it throughout my whole career about protecting the football, and it kind of gets old at times. But, man, it's so true. When you see Lamar Jackson go through a slump, Russell Wilson go through a slump, what do you see? It's just an enormous amount of turnover-worthy plays, whether they're fumbles, whether they're interceptions. So just come back to reality a little bit and execute the offense and try not to do too much. Yeah, and I frankly, and you talk about the running game, I think Daniel Jones' ability to run the ball, Bruce, has opened up the rest of the running attack. If you go back and watch the tape, you see either you know backside safeties or linebackers not willing to, to hit that initial hole for the running back because they're waiting to see if Daniel Jones is, is going to take that ball on a read option. And these aren't read options that go for, you know, six, seven yards. He's, he's taking it for explosive plays. So how, right. as a quarterback, do... do does that help the rest of your game when that quarterback is a threat in that read option game for opposing defenses? Oh, for sure. Because you just, you just pointed it out. You know, now defenses are just a little bit hesitant to, you know, fill that hole because there's got to be someone to account for the quarterback. And now you bring one extra guy in the box, and now all of a sudden you're getting easier throws outside because they're one-on-one matchups. And quite frankly, guys, I think Daniel Jones – um, it is the type of quarterback that he wants to be involved in the running game. He wants to be involved and feel like he's playing in a football game. I think he's tough. He's physical. He's a big, strong guy. And I think he enjoys it. It's crazy to say, but I think he enjoys getting hit. I know when I played, I wanted to get hit early in football games because I wanted to feel like I was part of the football game. I didn't want to just be clean and sit back and pass. I wanted to feel like I was grinding just like my teammates. And I see Daniel Jones being like that. So I give credit to Judge and and, uh, Jason Garrett for mixing in the running game and the quarterback run because those are big plays, and it's backbreakers against the defense. And what I'd want to see Jones even more so is not just the quarterback runs, but now when he drops back to pass, navigate that pocket better. You know, hitch up in there, find those creases and lanes on third down and five, take off for the first down. I mean, because he's, he's athletic enough to do that. 
and we see with Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, that's when they're at their best is not when they're calling a run, a quarterback run, but actually when they're dropping back to pass and then boom, they take off and just split a defense. To provide some fair context to this conversation for the sake of our audience, Bruce Gretkowski's longest run, 21 yards in 2009 when he was a member of the Raiders. So, Bruce, you know, you shouldn't sell yourself so short. You know, you, you had a little <laughs> Daniel Jones flash here or there throughout your career. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't any, you know, 60 yard or anything like that. But uh, I remember that run, too. I think it was against the Jets, and I filled in for Jamarcus Russell. And we're down, like, guys we're down probably by like 30 points or so and i take i take off and it was kind of i'm not gonna lie it was a sweet kind of run we had a play action pass and i set up in the pocket behind the right guard and i had some pressure and i moved left move right and then kind of you know dip duck dive dodge and sprint up the middle of the field and like just got tripped up at the end i kind of did a stumble and and i got up and gave the first down marker uh, sign and I think I was on come on man that weekend because they're like <laughs> they're like dude you're down 30 points and you're like signaling for a first down <laughs> that's funny that's very funny uh when you watch Daniel Jones go through his progressions Bruce where do you see his comfort level right now operating um in the NFL in this offense do you see him getting through his progressions quickly enough I thought earlier in the year he was maybe sticking on that first read a little bit too long how do you see his ability to kind of process right now and the speed that he's going through what he needs to do mentally post-snap? Yeah, and I think he can do that, and at times you see him doing it really well. And as young quarterbacks, it's tough because at times you just you want to play perfect. So you stick on that first progression, that first read, because you don't want to miss it. Because you know in that film room, if you come off that first read and you get to your second – and the first read on film the next day was open, they're going to say, well, just throw it to your first read. So you're really, like, cautious of don't miss the first read. And at times it could, you know, make you play a little slow. So I saw from, you know, Joe Burrow this year. You know, at times he's not getting to his second and third progression. At times you look down at the rush. And I think as a young quarterback, get through your progression because sometimes if you go one to two very quick, now you could get the ball out of your hand, even if you're about to get some pressure by the D-line or a blitzer. So the quicker you could get through your progression and process these things, the quicker you could get the ball out of your hand and it helps your offensive line. So I think that, that comes with time as well. I see Daniel Jones doing it well at times, and then others, you know, he sticks on a, on a guy too long. So it just comes with continuing to learn this new offense as well that he's in. Um, and, and you guys pointed out, I mean, it's great that he's been protecting the ball as of lately, and that's what they're going to need from him if they want to have a chance to win this division. Bruce, you brought up the offensive line play, and I'm very curious your perspective as a former quarterback because this has been brought up a lot. It's fascinating to me. Normally when we talk about offensive line, we preach continuity, the importance of having the same five guys right out there for every game because that helps chemistry. The Giants, though, they've been rotating tackles with three different guys. They've now been rotating guards. From the quarterback's mindset, in terms of what Daniel Jones is dealing with, when you've got over the course of a game movable parts and you've got a different right tackle, a different left tackle, how at all does that change your mindset as a quarterback? And are you surprised that the Giants have had success working with that operation? It's tough, you know, because when you have new offensive line, you know, line in there, um, it's not just, um, you know, the physical ability as for a backup 
or anything like that, but it's more the communication. You know, they haven't been in the lineup. They haven't worked with the same, you know, group of five. And, and that's tough because it's more about communication, being on the right page and going and doing your right assignment, right? Going to the right mic point, going to the will linebacker, making sure the double team's correct, not coming off it too fast. And, and you know, and those are things that come into play. And then with Daniel Jones, to want to utilize your snap count. You know, say you're playing a good defense like the Pittsburgh Steelers and, you, you know, you want to get them to jump off sides, but you're like, ah, oh, I got, you know, my, you know, a, a new offensive lineman's in here. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want him to jump, you know? So I think all those things play into it. And, um, you know, like you talked about earlier too, is getting the ball out of your hand quick. And I think the Giants do that, you know, with the quick passing game. But what I want to see even more, I think would help and help the offensive line is more play action pass. Yeah, and they've actually run a lot of play-action pass. I think they're like six in the league the last four or five weeks, so they've done more and more of it. I'm, I'm with you, Bruce. I think that's helped a lot. Uh, I want to put right. you in the shoes of a quarterback going against the Giants' defense. They've been a zone-heavy defense this year. I think they're top five in their use of, of cover two, cover three. I think third or fourth fewest snaps of, of, of cover one. Uh, they like to start pre-snap, Bruce, two safeties deep because they trust their front to stop the run. They try to disguise those zones as much as possible. They have movable pieces like Logan Ryan that can do a lot of different things. So when you're a quarterback dealing with a zone-heavy defense that disguises what they do very well, what are the challenges for a quarterback when you're facing a defense like that? You know, it's tough because, you you know, when I talk about before about everything a quarterback has to process, from calling the play in the huddle, breaking the huddle, getting the line of scrimmage, now orchestrating your own offense, shifts, motions, getting guys lined up. Now you're worried about, okay, where's my progression starting? What is the coverage right now? And for a team that switches it up a lot, what you pre- see pre-snap isn't always what you're going to get post-snap. So for a quarterback, your decision will change the minute the ball is in your hands, and it continues to change as you drop back. So it's very important to know what you're looking at and be you know very strict on what you want your eyes to see when you have a defense that moves around and also is trying to play decisive you know it's hard when you have um you know i'm speaking from a quarterback view when you're playing a defense that disguises you know it hurts the receivers as well you know so the biggest thing you could do preparing against a defense like that is just make sure everyone's on the same page and playing fast so i think the giants do a good job of disguising like you pointed out and so forth like that so um and especially you know playing the Bengals and you know they're gonna have a young quarterback in there that hasn't played much this season so I think you'll have a great opportunity to kind of continue to mix things up I'm glad you brought up Bengals because that's exactly where I wanted to go next Bruce and I'm sure the Giants expected that they were going to go up against Joe Burrow unfortunately the severe knee injury that he suffered against Washington so as you alluded to They're going to call on Ryan Finley, the fourth-round pick in 2019, and I believe he had three starts last season, Bruce, and it's well-documented. The completion percentage was below 50. I know to your point, he hasn't had much work this week, and and maybe getting the first-team reps will help him build a little bit more chemistry heading into this game, but how much in your mind do you think this Bengals offense now changes as they go from Joe Burrow to Ryan Finley? Uh, you know, it's definitely going to change, you know, and, and I say this a lot when, when the backup quarterback plays. It's not like it's a new offense, but every quarterback likes their own things. You know, like when I was in Pittsburgh with Big Ben, you know, he liked different third down plays than I probably would have picked. So now with Finley getting prepared this whole week to start, 
there's a ton of communication in meetings about what he's comfortable, what he likes on first and second down. What are the play action passes he likes? What's the quick game he's comfortable with? Is he comfortable with empty formations that we saw Joe Burrow in so much during this season? Can he understand how the offensive line is protecting and so forth like that? So it's the communication this week of, okay, what's Finley comfortable with? Can we establish some sort of run and also, you know, utilize the play action pass for him? How do we get the ball out of his hands quick and get him in rhythm in some sense? And those plays all always vary. And, and they'll go through his third down package and see what he's comfortable with. So it will change. We will see a different offense than we we have seen the first, you know, half of the season with Joe Burrow. And man, it just it really stinks of what happened to Joe. Sucks. I mean, I feel bad sure. for him. And gosh, man, that, that's just terrible. You never want to see those things. So hopefully, I know he's a tough kid and he'll bounce back. So yeah, but you know. Tough, tough on his his end, but gives uh, Finley an opportunity this week. Absolutely. Bruce, final one for me, and we're joined by Bruce Gratkowski, former NFL quarterback, analyst for PFF, Pro Football Focus, and you can hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Bruce, give me your breakdown. You know, the NFC East, you got all four teams with three wins. Uh, the Eagles <laughs> have that one tie against the Bengals, actually, that have them in first place right now, but boy... Carson Wentz and the Eagles are not playing very good football right now. How do you break down what this NFC East is going to look like when we finally get through 17 weeks of this season? Wow. I mean, this, this division is crazy. But you know what? It, it's so exciting for the teams in that division. Sure. If you're the Giants, you are right in the thick of things right now. And then you look at you know the remaining schedule. They have some tough games, but they also have winnable games. You know, Daniel Jones plays well. And I think that's, you know, the, the point in that division, right? The NFC East. I think from here on out, whoever that quarterback is that really steps up and plays good, clean football, that team's going to win. You know, does Carson Wentz come out of this awful slump of all these turnovers? Can Daniel Jones piggyback off of how he's played the last few weeks? Andy Dalton's back and healthy. What does he look like? And Alex Smith. Alex Smith's a very efficient quarterback that usually protects the ball pretty well. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting to see how this comes down. But, uh, man, I, I just think the Giants have a legit shot with the way, like, Carson Wentz is and has been playing. Well, there's no doubt about it, Bruce. I agree with you. I think the Giants are a very dangerous team considering how they've played over the last few games. It'll be interesting to see if that momentum can build after the bye. You brought up Andy Dalton, and you know that's a quarterback you're familiar with having been in Cincinnati with him. And you know it's funny how you characterized it. It's going to probably come down to which quarterback takes care of the football. I look at the Cowboys as the intriguing team. I look at the Giants as the dangerous team, the Eagles in the driver's seat based on record. But how much is it fair to say, Bruce, that we really haven't seen enough of this Cowboys team with Andy Dalton at the controls because he really, prior to this Vikings game, only had two games where he was the starter because, unfortunately, the concussion and the coronavirus? No, absolutely. Look, I was a big fan of, you know, Andy Dalton, um, you know, playing this year. You know, when Dak went down, I thought, man, the Cowboys still have a legit shot. Look, I backed up Andy for a few years, and it was his first two years in the NFL. He's a very smart quarterback. He understands where to go with the football. He's accurate with it. He makes smart decisions. And, you know, so you're right. I think now that the Cowboys getting a big win last week, it's going to be important to see how they face, you know, Washington this week. And then they have the Ravens. Um, and then the Eagles and Giants later to end the season, you know, so 
it's going to be fun to see how this shapes up. I think Andy's a good quarterback, a good player, and I do. I think it's going to be you come down to what quarterback in that division plays the best for the remainder of the season. Bruce, we really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for it. Stay safe out there and enjoy the rest of the NFL season, man. Thanks, Bruce. Always yeah, good talking thanks, with guys. you. Yeah, you too. Have a good week. Hey, you too. You that, as well. That is Bruce Gradkowski, again, former NFL quarterback. You can hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio, and you can, of course, uh, find this stuff on Pro Football Focus. He's one of their analysts over there, does all their quarterback grading, and um, kind of gives them that player insight on what's going on with the quarterback position. Lance, interesting stuff from Bruce, I thought. Uh, good stuff on Daniel Jones. Good stuff on the division. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what's great about hearing from a former quarterback. He's got a lens that not many other people can provide. And remember, you know, Bruce was with a variety of teams over the course of his career. He was a backup quarterback, but those backup quarterbacks, I mean, they know everything because they've got to be prepared in the blink of an eye to get into games. And I think it was interesting to hear what he talked about with Daniel Jones's decision-making process. The fact that, you know, him getting rid of the football quicker has helped the offense as well as, you know, Jason Garrett mixing and matching up a little bit. So, you know, I think that's promising. They get a Bengals team coming off of the bye that is a bit banged up both mentally and physically because they just lost their starting quarterback. But, you know, like we've seen in the NFL before, and John, I haven't looked at the numbers. I was going to delve into them a little bit before, but if memory serves me correct, it hasn't been a picnic in Giants history when they've actually faced backup quarterbacks. So, you know, (laughs) don't look at this game as a layup line so easily just because of the fact that the Bengals on the fly have to now react to a new guy under center. Hey, and and I'll just say this too, Lance, and then we'll get to the calls. We got a full bank of them at 201-939-4513. And the NFC East, I can make a good argument for any four of these teams, okay? And I'll I'll, I'll make them very briefly right now before we get to the calls. One, Philadelphia Eagles. They're getting healthier. They have the half-game lead on the other teams in the division. They've already beaten Dallas once. They've beaten the Giants once. They've split. Uh, They do have a very tough schedule, which works against them. But they're probably health-wise in the best place they've been all year. Now, the problem is that they're still playing terribly, and Carson Wentz is just throwing the ball to the other team, which is a problem. Dallas Cowboys, you made the point about Andy Dalton. They finally put Zach Martin out at right tackle, and that made all the difference in their last game against Minnesota. Now, Minnesota doesn't have a great pass rush. So we'll see when Dallas plays Washington now on Thanksgiving how that offensive line holds up against a much more fearsome pass rush. I think Alex Smith has been really good for Washington, to be quite honest with you. And they had a nice win this week against Cincinnati. Even they were leading that game before Joe Burrow got hurt. So to me, you can make an argument for those three teams. Then you have the Giants who have won two straight. They're already three and two in the division. They could be four and two if they beat Dallas the final week. You have a game at Cincinnati with their backup quarterback this week, which is a winnable game. And they're protecting the football. If you look at the turnover rate, they by far, I think, Dallas, Philly, and Washington are all minus five turnover ratio or worse this year. So the Giants are even. So if they keep protecting the ball and do these things, the defense keeps playing the solid football that they're playing, you know, they have a good shot too. So you can make an argument for any one of these teams right now to win this division. And I, in my heart of hearts, believe we're going to be sitting here getting ready for the Giants and Cowboys, and it probably won't be at 1 o'clock, folks, because if it's, if, it's, if it's for the division, it's going to get flexed. So whether it's 425 or 820 on Sunday night football, we're going to be sitting there in that game in one way, shape, or form, whether it's you know head-to-head, Giants and Cowboys tied, or Giants trying to catch Washington, or Dallas trying to catch somebody, that game is going to determine, along with Philly and Washington, which also play that day, those games are going to determine 
who wins the NFC East, period, stop. Yeah, I would not be surprised if both of those games are mathematically meaningful for one of the two teams involved in each of those contests. To your point about turnover differential, Washington, Philadelphia, and Dallas are all bunched together. You got Washington at minus six, yep. Philly at minus nine, and the Cowboys are minus 12, and the Giants are way ahead of them minus at even now. 12. So that's got to continue. Boy, minus 12 at this point of the season is something special. That's, that is like Giants level from last year. That's not good. Well, believe it or not, it's not the worst, Mark. The Denver yeah. Broncos are minus 13, <laughs> so know. the Cowboys are not in the basement it all by themselves. <laughs> they are not. They are not. All right, everybody, let's get to your phone calls. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. I want to remind you, of course, that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. All right, let's go to, I believe, Jason in Connecticut has been on hold the longest, right, Pearson? Let's go to Jason first. What's up, Jay? Uh, how you guys doing? Good, man. You're right. All right. Thanks for taking my call. Yep. Um, yeah, I called the other day. I don't. I think I was talking to Paul. It might have been uh, the other day. Um, but, Our condolences, by yeah. the way, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, basically, I just wanted to talk about the game on Sunday. And I talked to Paul the other day, and I said, I don't know if you guys heard the call, but I had talked about, you know, under previous regimes with um, – the other, the last three head coaches, including Coughlin, um, a lot of times we would come out in games that we were supposed to win and we'd lay an egg or the game would be closer than it should have been. And I said to Paul, you know, hopefully we really make a stand on a national level. Now, as a national game, is it a big game, Giants against the Bengals? No, but it would be great to go out of our bye week, you know, kind of the Bengals are hurt right now and kind of putting our stamp on that game, you know. There's, there's really few blowouts in the NFL because, you know, there's so much talent across the league. Um, but it would be nice to come out on Sunday and really, really put a stamp and really, you know, hopefully, you know, beat these guys uh, considerably. They still do have talent on the receiving end as far as uh, I think they have um, a AJ lot Green. of talent. Oh, they got a lot of talent. AJ yeah. Green, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins are still very good wide receivers. And Giovanni Bernard right. could catch the ball out of the backfield, yep, too, as the true. running back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And from what I could tell of Joe Judge, the coach, I doubt he'll uh, let these guys rest on their laurels, even though we've had a little winning streak. So I, I'm prepared. I, I'm confident to say that I think we'll come out and be ready. Um, second point I wanted to bring up, I don't really hear this guy's name mentioned a lot. Um, we talked about some of the MV- – I called last, last week – and I talked about possibly Leonard Williams, and you brought up uh, Bradbury, which are you know, and Martinez. But to me, I think Peppers has played probably his best ball since he's been a Giant. Um, as far as being that box safety, that hybrid safety, even some of his coverage skills to me has improved from watching the games. And I kind of wanted to get your your guys' thoughts on, you know, you know how Peppers has looked, and if he, you know, if he sees, stays healthy, do you see us extend him? I know we um, had the fifth year option we exercised on him, but. Um, I just kind of want to see what you guys thought of Peppers as a player and how he's evolved. And if I could be honest, I think we kind of won that trade. Um, I hate to see that Beckham got hurt again. He was great with us. But um, right now, I think we kind of got the best out of that trade. And I just wanted to see how you guys felt about Peppers this year and, you know, if you guys can expand on him and his impact on the defense as well. So yeah, I'll take it off. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate the call. Um, yeah, look, I think Peppers has played well this year. I think he has played his best ball at the Giants. I think you hit it, Jason. I think, Lance, he's a box safety. 
He has not played free safety. I looked at the average snaps. Let me see if I have that on my story that I wrote. Last week, by the way, if you folks didn't see it, I did kind of like a, a bi-week breakdown of where the Giants are with a lot of their numbers and, and frequency and you know advanced numbers, film study, and stuff like that. I do have it in here. So Peppers has only lined up at free safety lens this year 83 times. And he's been in the box 234 times and 130 times in the slot and 39 times on the defensive line. So you're looking at one-sixth of his snaps, one-fifth doing the math quickly in my head, have been snaps that have been at free safety. So uh, Joe Judge has definitely figured out how to use him. I think he's a really effective player against the run. He's an effective blitzer. We have seen him still get beat in coverage a couple times, but I think in that role... He's been a very effective player, and he's been a very good punt returner on top of that. Yeah, you have to mention the special teams play. When you review Jabril Peppers, and from a front office perspective, when you're evaluating whether or not to give him a contract extension, you also need to say to yourself, well, this guy's not just contributing as a defensive player, he's also helping the special teams. And he's had a number of good runbacks. I mean, there was one where he collided with his teammate in which he yeah, thought that perhaps, yeah, correct, that he could take it to the house. And he's provided some good opportunities to change field position for the Giants. So I think that, to me, is valuable. That has to be factored in. Big reason... By the way, based on your breakdown that he's been playing primarily near the box is also because of who else the Giants brought in on the roster. For example, a guy like Logan Ryan. Remember, when you have other players who you think are much more comfortable at that free safety position or who have versatility on the back end, you know, then you can say, hey, we don't have to put Jabril Peppers in a situation that maybe he was exposed to in previous seasons. So I think Bingo. that can't be overlooked. The change in the roster around Jabril Peppers has afforded the Giants the opportunity to say, hey, this is where we want to play you. We're not going to move you around. We're not going to mix and match you because of who else we have on the roster who we think is sufficient to assume some of those back-end positions. So I think the marriage between Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers has also helped Peppers play because he's now playing next to a guy that is very strong because of his versatility and his ability to be moved around at both corner as well as the safety position. I'm with you 100%. And look, I think they, depending on obviously cost lands and value, especially in a year where you could have a shrinking salary cap, is going to be a factor in all this. But... And I think the coaching staff loves his, his enthusiasm and his leadership, too. He just seems like a, a Joe Judge type of player. So I think they've been really happy with, with the job he's done this year. 201-939-4513. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Let's go back to the phones and say what's up to Daniel in New Jersey. He's up next. Hey, Daniel. Um, hi, John. Hi, Lance. How are you? What's up? Doing well. How about yourself? Uh, doing fine. Um, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, thank well, you thank for taking you. my call. Well, thank you, you for calling. Yeah. Um, you guys are keeping me sane throughout this whole mess, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, just had two uh, quick questions for you guys, and they're, they're sort of similar, and um, um, but different sides of the ball. So my first question is about the defense, and um, – I'm sort of looking big picture for the next few years and about thinking about great Giants teams of the past and how dominant their defense has always been. So looking at all the players we have sort of on one-year contracts, free agents we brought in, you know, I've got Leonard Williams and then Logan Ryan, then people are up in their contract year like Dalvin and Peppers. What, what core of players do you think we have to retain from this group and then obviously build on moving forward to, 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 build up a really strong, um, competitive, hopefully dominant defense? I mean, do you, is there some combination that we have to have? Can we, is it okay if 
Leo walks. I mean, I I'm just curious to get your feedback on that. Yeah, it's a great question, and I got a similar question, um, Daniel, on 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 the Giants mailbag that just got posted up on Giants.com, and they kind of, the question I was asked was, what big additions do you think they need to make on this defense to to make it special? And I and I said, look, the easy answer is cornerback and edge rusher, right? And you could talk about multiple guys at those positions. But my other part of my answer is, is to your point, and I think Lance, this is going to be a big conversation once we get to the end of the season is that what do you do the, with the guys that are having or coming off expiring contracts? You know, Dalvin Tomlinson's an unrestricted free agent. Leonard Williams is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Logan Ryan is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Kyler Fackrell is going to be an unrestricted free agent. So these are big decisions you have to make on those guys, which might determine whether or not you have room under the salary cap to add a cornerback, to add a pass rusher. So... The, the two things end up being related simply because of the financials going on in the league right now. Yeah, that's why it's a game of chess, because when you make a move in free agency, then perhaps you don't necessarily have as much playing time for a guy in the draft or vice versa. So I think you know, a lot is also going to depend on what the substance at cornerback, John, is at that position in the draft, too. You know, do they feel as if they can get a number two guy, depending on where they select? If not, you look at the free agent pool. But getting back to the premise of the question, in terms of guys that I think are extremely valuable, I mean, Logan Ryan, I think, has done so much for this team, and considering his ties to Patrick Graham and Joe Judge, he's clearly bringing up his value, so I guarantee you other teams are probably going to be interested in his services, but if he's comfortable here and they value where they can place him, I mean, that's a guy that I think is going to be important from a leadership standpoint point from a performance standpoint or that you want to do everything in your power to retain or because if you draft Xavier McKinney do you maybe think that you don't have to that's why I think that's interesting well but here's the thing even with McKinney on board you can argue though Ryan you can move around that's the benefit John when you sign a guy like Ryan that's you true. can play him at safety you could play him at corner not many guys on the roster you bring in in free agency have that ability so that's why I still think even though there may be some duplicity there's value in holding on to a guy like that no, I agree. from that that's standpoint fair. Leonard Williams is right now on pace for perhaps a career year, especially when it comes to sacks. So a lot depends on what's the market going to be like for somebody in his position. What's the draft stock look like at that position? But I think the way he's playing, the way that the Giants' new coaching staff is getting production out of him, you have to at least consider. And then also I think a lot depends on what happens with guys like Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown as the season progresses? How much do they see out of them to determine, well, what can we get out of them moving forward? And that's how a guy like Kyler Fackrell gets moved into the equation. All right, do we like a lot out of the young guys what we've seen, so therefore maybe we can move on from a guy that we brought in a one-year contract? I still think a lot of those decisions have to play out, but I would think Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers would be probably the two priorities if you were to ask me to rank them. And I think one of Dalvin Thomas and Leonard Williams are back. Uh, maybe both, but yeah. I think that's a tough financial go there. You know, those guys at that p- specific position, you already have Dexter Lawrence on a rookie deal. I think it's going to be hard to bring back both those guys and then have the additional money left over to, to spend where you want to spend at cornerback and edge rusher. So I'm with Lance. I, I think that's kind of what you're looking at, Daniel. I appreciate Thank you. That's, a, that, that's quite helpful. <laughs> Um, and that's sort of similar. I was figuring that you'd be able to maybe keep the D-backs and, and have to let go one of the guys up front. But um, similar question, um, uh, just in terms of the running back position, obviously, you know, Saquon's been hurt and we all wanted to get better as quickly as possible, but he hasn't had a chance to really um, run in this sort of what seems to be a new 
blocking scheme that we're developing this year, more downhill. Um, uh, and so I was just curious. And we, we also have, again, Devonta Freeman, one-year contract. I think, obviously, Gallman's in his contract year. And I'm not sure exactly when Deion Lewis' con- his contract expired. But um, I was just curious, similarly, over the last few years, we've talked, to, or not me, but you all have talked a lot about complementing Saquon in the backfield and, and the different skill sets that folks can bring and what we need in the backfield. And so I'm just curious. I mean, all, all three of those names have impressed me in different ways this year. And, and what skill sets that, that you see from them do we really need to make sure to prioritize in the backfield uh, moving forward that we can bring back? Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate the call. And Lance, to me, I've always been a guy that says I want Saquon Barkley on the field on third downs because he's such a good receiver. And if I'm going to spell him, it's going to be in more of those, you know, shorter yardage, run heavy type of goal line situations. And I like Wayne Goldman in that role. I think he gets downhill quickly. He's a one step, one cut type of running back. I think that's what he's good at. So of the guys that are on the roster now, that's the guy I would prioritize because I think he fits that role which maybe Saquon isn't quite as fit for based on his running style. Yeah, even when they've had the one-two punch of Goldman and Alfred Morris, and Morris is that guy that could certainly move the pile, they've still turned to Wayne Goldman in those red zone goal line situations. So, yeah, I would agree. I think that's what you want to be able to complement Saquon Barkley. Barkley is certainly a dynamic playmaker. I don't think you're thinking if you're the Giants, assuming he returns to full health, ways to take him off the field. You want to find ways to get him more involved, which means you need a guy that's going to come in and prioritize those short yardage situations, move the pile, finish drives, maybe where the guy's going to take on a few more hits and maybe you want to not have Saquon Barkley have to delve into that. But here's the other thing, John, that I'm wondering. Wayne Goldman, four years into the league, hasn't had a lot of hits, hasn't had an overwhelming amount of carries. I just wonder if a team's going to say, hey, you know, Wayne, we can think about bringing you in as our starter and that becomes an attractive offer. I think you got to at least consider that because Wayne's going to wind up with more work during the course of this period with Barkley out than he's ever had in terms of a sample size. So if there's a team that doesn't want to go out on a big splash, doesn't want to draft a running back, and they don't think the market's going to be overwhelming, I would not be surprised if somebody wants to take a flyer on Wayne Goldman to perhaps bring him in as the change of pace guy, but more so I think of a guy that could actually be their number one back. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. And, yeah, I could see that, Lance. I I could see another team looking at him. I'm not sure how much teams spend big money on running backs and for agency, but it might be enough where if he's guaranteed a bigger role, even if it's like a 1B role, if not a 1A role, you know, because even if he stays here with Saquon, I wouldn't call that a one B role. I call that a, a, a number two, like a pure number two role. You know what I mean? So yeah, maybe there could be a better option out there for him. Yeah, it's all about opportunity. Yeah, I look at it for Goldman and free agency, not necessarily the finance. If a team says, "Hey, we want to give you X amount of carries, or we envision you in this role," if you're Wayne Goldman, you could say, "Hey." I could back up Saquon Barkley, but you're not banking on Barkley getting hurt, of course. I don't think you ever have that mindset. So, you know, that's just something to keep in the back of your mind if you're Wayne Goldman as a wild card that could emerge that maybe he wasn't necessarily anticipating because no one ever, of course, thought that Saquon Barkley was going to tear his ACL. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, One other thing I want to point out, which I think is interesting, when I did my little, you know, bi-week review, I looked at Leonard Williams, and, you know, obviously he has, you know, more sacks than he's ever had before. Um, at this point in a season, 
he has had more overall sacks. Once yeah, before. seven is his high. Correct. But the thing I found is interesting. Leonard Williams is on pace for 56 total pressures. You know, that includes sacks with quarterback hits and quarterback hurries. This is PFF's number. So he is, he's on pace for 56, right? Well, do you want to hear what his total pressure numbers were for his last five seasons, Lance? 57, 59, 51, 56, and 54. <laughs> so he's really the same guy, except he's getting home for a couple more sacks. And as we've talked about before, Lance, sacks can be volatile from year to year, right? It depends on how long a quarterback holds the ball in a given play. You know, things like that, which are really out of the control of the defensive tackle. So, yes, I think Leonard Williams is playing as well as you always have. We've talked about what an effective player was, except this year, because of circumstances, some in his control, and I do think he's getting home a little bit quicker than in past seasons, but other things out of his control, you know, he's just putting more sacks up on the board. So if you look at his overall value, you know, pressures are a better predictor than sacks from year to year. Those are more consistent if you look at it from player to player. You know, he's just getting home more this year. But overall, as an impact in terms of pressures, he's the same guy he's always been. Well, and we talked about that when the Giants acquired him. You know, don't expect him to come in and get you 10 sacks. It's just that's not necessarily who he is as a player. But you can expect him to be a guy that's going to consistently help collapse the pocket and perhaps open up opportunities for other players. It so happens to be that this season he's finishing. And remember, that's been a big emphasis, even when he spoke to the media as well as the Giants coaching staff about that, you know, we told him to focus on the process. And don't think about finishing. Continue to do what you're doing. The sacks will come. And maybe that mindset has been a big reason why the sacks are at a higher volume at this stage compared to where they were in previous seasons. That's why if you're the Giants and you're evaluating whether or not he warrants a long-term deal, it goes back to your point, John. You've got to look at the pressures, and you've got to look at, on every play, what is he doing to either open things up or being disruptive himself. You can't look at... Leonard Williams, and if he winds up with, I don't know, let's say he gets nine sacks when it's all said and done. All right, maybe he hits 10. Just throwing out a random number. I don't think you could say, well, you know, this is an indication, John, that he's going to give us nine sacks every season moving forward if we wind up re-signing him. You've got to evaluate more of what is he doing playing and play out. Is that enough to say that he's going to continue to help our front? And if the question is yes, he warrants another contract. If you're still on the fence, then perhaps you explore other options. And by the way, he was asked about this the other day in his media availability here. Um, I did not cut this for the show, so I just have a chunk. I'm hoping I'm starting it in the right place. Leonard Williams was asked about, I'm playing this cold, about uh, how he's been able to kind of turn some of those quarterback hits and hurries into sacks. And this, I thought his answer was actually pretty revealing. Uh, here's... Leonard Williams answering that question from the media during media availabilities yesterday. Stuff plays a part, you know. We, yeah, I mean, I think uh, sometimes just a lot of stuff plays a part. You know, we have a, a good secondary that can help them, uh, the quarterback, hold the ball for that split second longer. When we have uh, corners plastering their guys, um, you know, we have a lot of different blitzes and stuff like that that help out. We're moving around. You know, I'm not staying. I'm, you know, playing three technique. I'm playing five technique. I'm playing outside. I'm moving all around. Uh, you know, I think a lot of stuff goes into it. Coach Spence and uh, Coach Pat been, you know, doing a good job coaching. Notice he didn't mention one thing about something he's doing differently. Yeah. No, seriously, he's talked about how he's being used in the scheme, how the quarterbacks are holding the ball longer, and those are the two major reasons he gave. Because, look, 
when you get a pressure, you're trying to get a sack, right? And you just can't get there in time. So I just thought it was an interesting answer from the man himself just talking about how factors outside of the player's control can determine whether or not a, a pressure is a quarterback hurry, a quarterback hit, or a sack. And I, I thought it was an inter- a, a very interesting answer. Well, because if you go back and you look at his tenure with the Jets, he had years where they had rough goes and they didn't necessarily have shutdown corners in the secondary. So clearly that's going to impact his play. And now he's got new voices, which we were just talking about. Sean Spencer is the one that when he spoke to the media, as I was alluding to earlier, he emphasized, yeah, we're not telling Leonard Williams to be a different player. We're just telling him mentally, just go about your business. The sacks will come, period. I mean, that's pretty much what Sean Spencer said. I'm paraphrasing and I'm sure Joe Judge and Patrick Graham have been echoing similar sentiments in terms of, hey, we want you to be that force that on every play they have to account for, and if the coverage acts accordingly, you'll be able to finish. And the coverage has come through more often than not. But what happens if something fluctuates in the secondary? You don't want Leonard Williams now, John, to start pressing the envelope and trying to put on the cape and playing hero ball. You still want him to do what he's doing. So I think that's why when he answers a question like that, there are things on the back end of the defense that are completely out of his control. He's at the mercy of whether or not the quarterback's going to get rid of the football quickly or he's going to hold on to it. Thankfully, the quarterback's been holding on to it a little bit longer, and that's given him an opportunity to finish. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants brand of debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. And I've, I've watched all his sacks, Lance. That was one of the things I did during the bye week. Most of them come from when he's inside, but there's one that was a bull rush. There's one that he was looping around on a stunt. There was one on a rollout where he went on block. There was one where a guy missed a double team block he got through. He made a quick move inside on another. Another, he got right up field with the rip move. So this is not like, all right, well, he's doing this one thing really well. That's how he's getting his sacks. He's gotten them in a lot of different ways uh, over the course of the season, which I think um, has been important and interesting for that matter. Well, but those are all going back to fundamentals, John. Sure, absolutely. What you just outlined, right? I mean, it's not necessarily that, you know, they're asking Leonard Williams to line up as a linebacker and somehow, you know, find the holes based on his teammates. He's just winning his battles depending on where they line him up, and that's what you got to stick to. Let's go to Keith in New Jersey. He's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's up, Keith? Hey, I just want to tell you, I love your show, guys, and I really appreciate the information I get from you guys. And uh, Thank you. Um, Thanks for tuning in. I love it. Uh, the main thing is I wanted to talk about was uh, – Jones, I I feel that now he's more coming into himself. He was trying to do too much, and um, he, he, he the fact that the offensive line now is is starting to make better run plays. It, it just changes his whole thing there. Plus, the fact that he can run once in a while helps the running backs because they have to protect against him. Um, Things are starting to come together. The only thing I'd still like to see him do is when he holds the ball a little bit too long, he should just throw it away instead of getting hit and, or no, he hasn't fumbled it. Thank God. No, but you know, you're better off just getting rid of the ball. That's all I'm saying. And he's doing that a little bit more, but not as much as I think he should. Um, but I, I, I like where we're going and I like the fact that we're in the games and I, I, I love what the defense is doing. They're communicating better. They're doing more. They're getting more together. I, I I like what I see. I uh, I really appreciate it, and I'm just saying, go Giants. All right, appreciate the call, Keith. Right, Keith. Good stuff. And a couple nuggets, Lance, that I had in my story on Giants.com. 
um, on Jones very quickly. And I mentioned a couple of these while we were talking to Bruce, and we had Bruce Gratkowski on earlier in the show. For the folks that missed it, you can find it on the archive, by the way, which is you know our Giants podcast network, which is presented by Investors Bank. The archive you can find on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, he's gotten rid of the ball quickly more often this year. Last year, he was 38th in the league in average time to throw. This year, he's down to 27th. And more importantly, on plays where there's no play action or pressure or an RPO and it's a straight drop back, he went from the 52nd quarterback last year in time to throw, 52 out of 52. He was the slowest quarterback in the league last year on straight drop backs with no play action or RPO action. He's down to 23rd this year. So he is getting the ball out quicker, and the point I made is when he gets the ball out in under two and a half seconds, he's Pro Football Focus's fourth highest graded quarterback this year. Fourth. When he gets the ball out in under two and a half seconds. Now, over two and a half, not as good. But he's done little things that we've talked about in getting the ball out quicker, and the result is fewer turnover-worthy plays. This is PFS metric. Last year on 566 dropbacks, they had him account for 31 turnover-worthy plays. I think it was the third most in the league after Jameis Winston and Kyle Allen, if memory serves me right off the top of my head. This year, on 411 dropbacks, which is about two-thirds of the dropbacks, he only has 12, which is a third of the turnover-worthy plays he had last year. And that's going against a very good uh, schedule with some very good defenses on it. So he certainly has made progress in those two very important areas. And Bruce also made the point he's thrown the ball down the field a lot better. They've been a much more efficient team getting the ball down the field. 23 completions of 20 or more yards, and on passes that go 21 or more yards in the air, Daniel Jones has a passer rating lens of 142.4. He's 14 of 26 for 454 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. So those are areas that we really targeted last year in our offseason review where he had to get better, more accurate down the field, get rid of the ball quicker, Cut down on the turnover-worthy plays. You can put a little check mark next to all those boxes. Well, the throw to Darius Slayton in the last game against the Eagles, which uh, helped put the Giants in field goal range. I mean, that's one play that comes to mind. There was a great catch by Slayton as well. He deserves a lot of credit. There was the game against Tampa Bay where they took a lot of shots down the field. Unfortunately, they weren't connecting. But they certainly have not shot away from that, to your point. And I think that that also has come with Jason Garrett realizing that he has a better read on the talent on this team and what some guys could do well and what some guys can't do well. So I think that's just the natural progression when you have a new offensive coordinator. Sometimes it takes a few games, especially when you don't have a preseason. So better it come right when the Giants are starting to click as opposed to it never come. And I think that you're seeing some flashes of that. Another example I'll give you in the Tampa Bay game that I brought up, and that was the game where he had the two interceptions. But after the two interceptions, there was a play later in the game, John, where he was just about to be brought down, and then he just heaved one towards the sideline. So, you know, that's what I'm also looking for. The situations that prove costly for Daniel Jones, either early in the season or early in a game, when he's put in that situation later on in a game, does he then make a different decision? And I think we're starting to see that. Now, granted, even in these last two games when they had no turnovers, Daniel Jones included, you know, there still were certain situations where there was an almost iffy point where there was one where he ran out to the sideline. The ball was knocked out from behind. Fortunately, it bounced out of play. And I think also in that game, there was a ball that went on the ground and then he was able to cover it up. So 
you're learning from issues that arose earlier in the season. And I think most coaches will tell you, right, you always hear, the player doesn't make the mistake the same time in the same situation over and over again. So that's what I think Jason Garrett and the offensive coaching staff is keeping close tabs on, specifically Jerry Shuplinski. When Daniel Jones is put in that scenario and he perhaps has a mishap, maybe two games later, it doesn't happen again. And if we continue to see that, I think that's a sign of a young quarterback starting to come into his own. And I think the next step, too, the next few weeks against defenses that maybe aren't quite as good, Lance, is maybe you get a more more frequency of passes going down the field. The Giants only have uh, the 24th most pat completions of 20 or more yards. So now that you're so efficient at the shots you are taking, Maybe you take some more. Maybe you put some more of that into the playbook to see if you can maintain that efficiency while increasing the volume. Because that's always the trick, right? It's easier to do things in a smaller sample. If you expand that sample, you get a little bit more aggressive. And again, the next three defenses, Bengals, Seahawks, Cardinals, they don't have great pass rushes, so maybe you can hold the ball back there a little bit longer. Can you maintain that efficiency on those types of plays while getting a higher volume of them, which I think is interesting. All right, final call of the show, Lance. Let's get to him. Clay in Brooklyn, he'll wrap us up today. Hey, Clay. Hey, guys, how you doing? Doing great. Love the show. Uh, I had called originally to talk about the defensive line when you guys were talking a while ago about uh, Leonard Williams and, you know. You can do that. His improved That's all good. Numbers. Go ahead. I, I'd love to do that, but I also want to talk about the O-line as well. Sure. Um, I'm one of those old-school guys who believes that the line of scrimmage is where you win the games. That's what it battles one. And I really hope we find a way to keep Leonard and Dalvin. I know that's unlikely. I know it's going to be hard to do that, especially when the cap is going down and they're both going to be asking for money. But I really think there's a big turnaround in our defense this year. I mean, if you had told us back in August that we'd be tied for 11th in the league in sacks, I think we would have signed up for that right away. Because all we talked about all offseason was how we don't have any edge rushers, we, you know, how we're going to get to the quarterback. And we are getting to the quarterback. We're tied for 11th in sacks with 25 sacks. Um, and I think a lot of that is because our interior defensive linemen do get some push up the middle. And, and I, I kind of wish we had kept Marcus, but whatever. I mean, you know, obviously the, the loss of Marcus, the injury to Lorenzo and to O'Shane, and um, Kyle Sacklow has been, you know, inconsistent at best. And from the edge rush, we're not getting that edge pressure, but we're getting a lot of pressure up the middle. And I really hope we find a way to keep them. I think our defense is going to look even better when X-Man gets here. So I'm, I'm really kind of encouraged about that. Um, I don't know if you guys have, you know, any insight into uh, what Dalvin and, and Lawrence, uh, I mean, Leonard, excuse me, are looking for uh, in terms of length. But if we could sign the two of them to three or four-year deals, I mean, and keep Tessa Lawrence, I think we have as good an interior defensive line as anybody in the league. And, you know, a, a nice edge rusher would be great. I don't see one in the draft, to be honest. I'm not a big believer in Greg Rousseau, at least not right away. I know a lot of people talk about him, um, but I was wondering what you guys think about that. And and if you don't mind, I'd like to say something about the offensive line, but I'd love to hear what you think about the uh, odds on keeping our interior defensive linemen next year. I think you can keep them, but I mean, that means you have to make a sacrifice somewhere else. You know, I always talk about this, Lance, running this type of team in a way, or every team, with the salary cap is all about asset management. You can give it to one spot, but then you got to take it away from another, right? And I do think... When all is said and done, for the long-term ability to win games, especially close games at the end, I think it's more important to have an, a really good edge rusher or a really good corner than have a third run stuffer of your interior defensive line. That's just the way I would build a team. Maybe the Giants aren't going to build it that way, and that's fine. Everyone can do it their own way. But that's how I look at it. 
it's certainly possible they can if they want, but then you're going to have to realize you're not going to be able to make another addition in free agency somewhere else. Yeah, if you make right. a big splash for a prominent defensive end, you're going to have to sacrifice some of those other defensive linemen we talked about. And a big reason why, getting back to your point, why I think the sack total is where it is at 25 goes back to you know something we've discussed a lot in the offseason, which was this wasn't going to be a defense where you got one guy that's going to get 10 sacks. It was going to be piecemeal. And you look at the numbers right now, Leonard Williams is five. Dexter Lawrence has three, and everybody else has two or less. But the bottom line is you have pretty much the bulk of the roster with at least one sack. That's how you get to 25. It's piecemeal. So you could continue to have success as a unit without maybe an elite pass rusher and finish in the top 10. I don't think that's crazy to ask, but I think you also need to make sure that you keep the secondary together. And that goes back to John's point about it's either way. Do you put the money and the investment up front? Okay, then that means that you're going to have to sacrifice guys on the back end. Maybe you can't bring back Peppers and Ryan. Well, if Peppers and Ryan is the reason why you're getting 25 sacks, do you really want to mess with that? So I think it's important for the Giants to focus on developing the young guys instead of maybe going out and making the big splash, even though that seems to be the juicy, attractive thing. I think if they can scheme with Patrick Graham, where you can continue to get a boatload of guys in that three to five sack category, you can prove to still have an effective defense. Totally agree. Totally agree. And that's why I'm thinking that the people we may have to get rid of next year are people like Golden Tate, uh, people like uh, maybe um, Spencer Poli and Levine Toilolo. I mean, they don't make a lot of money, but that's $5 million between two of them. Um, people, you know, that that are making in the four to five million dollar range, we 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 can't keep as many of them as as we have this year, and maybe even Zeitler, who I know is still our best offensive lineman, but he's twelve million dollars. And if if we start to like uh, what we see from Shane, uh, you know, it, it may just be that we can't keep him. Because you're right, I think we got to keep Logan Ryan. I think we got to keep um, you know Peppers and Ryan and McKinney in the back. Uh, I think that'd be amazing. Uh, as far as the offense, I wanted to just real quick say that. Yeah, real quick. I think, real quick. I just want to say that Garrett, I think, is doing a great job. I think he got he got under a lot of heat and pressure in the beginning of the year, but our offensive line was terrible at the beginning of the year. So with no preseason and offensive line terrible, and our focal point of the offense hurt, you know, early in the season, of course our offense looked bad early. But now that he's had more time to adjust to a post uh, Saquon year and a much better playing offensive line, he's been opening up the playbook, and I think it really speaks highly of him. And I hope we bring him back too. Anyway, guys, love the show. Thanks so much. Hey, appreciate it, my friend. Good stuff. Lance, final thoughts? Well, I think that is a fair point in terms of Jason Garrett. I've said time and time again, you didn't have preseason. He's more comfortable with the personnel, and he has a better feel of what guys, for example, like Wayne Goldman can do when he wasn't probably banking on them having as prominent a role. So now with a lot of games under their belt, it's natural to feel, okay, I've got a good read on the offense. We could dig a little bit deeper into our bag of tricks. I've got enough film. I see what defenses are using to attack us. And the comfort zone, I think, is where he wished it was perhaps two or three games into the season. All right, Lance. uh, Tomorrow, looking at the schedule, it looks like it is me and – wait, what's what's tomorrow's date? The 24th. Tomorrow it is you and Mr. Dettino. I'm getting my weeks mixed up. I can't even keep track of, you know, what day it is anymore. It's it's very, very difficult. And again, same boat. (laughs) Exactly. uh, No show on Thanksgiving, folks, obviously – 
TBD on Friday. We were going to do one, but now we have some stuff going on over here. It might not be possible, so stay tuned for that. We will let you know. But again, Paul and Lance will be with you tomorrow on BBK at noon, which is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. We thank our guest, Bruce Gradkowski, for joining us earlier on the show. Lance, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one. Stay safe, everybody. Sounds good. Have a good one.